to the Back in Business podcast. I'm the Back in Business chief reporter, JT Rambai. And I'm small business journalist and Back in Business CEO, Liz Barkley. Now, we're talking about how COVID-19 has affected women in business. Uh, and the dog is going to help us out with that discussion. We're talking about small business owners and freelance workers. Uh, and I've been freelance for almost all of my working life. Uh, Jyoti, as you know, that's centuries. <laughs> you went freelance, on the other hand, at the start of the pandemic. How have you got on? Um, yes, that's right. So I went freelance um, at the end of February. Um, it's been tough, especially at the very beginning, because I, um, because of the lockdown, I had some work fall through. And at that time, there was very little out there, especially at the height of the pandemic. But I think since around June, things started to pick up again. And it's been slow, but it's been OK. Um, but then again, you're doing a very specific type of work because you're working with us as our chief reporter, but you're also doing business journalism. And there's a lot there is a lot on in the business world. Yes. And I think that's partly it. The, it's a big it's a lot of competition and um, a lot of magazines, a lot of newspapers had stuff on furlough, they had their budgets cut and they made people redundant. So that meant like what was, you could get somewhere pre-COVID meant the competition was stiffer. It was really hard to get your foot in the door. Just generally, even now it's quite hard and many newspapers aren't doing a lot of freelance work or taking on any freelance generally so where you can it's you're in luck if you can get the odd bit of work okay but you're um i know you're you are coping and a lot of freelancers of course are leaving freelancing simply because they see no future in it so we, we talked to musicians professional musicians last week 170,000 of those in the uk of which the vast majority are freelance and they are reckoning that a third of them will leave freelancing by Christmas. And of course, that's disastrous, but you can see that repeated across hospitality uh, sector, the event sector and so on. Um, so, Jyoti, to the news this week, there's been some pretty dire news on the job front, both for freelancers and small businesses. The ONS figures this morning are suggesting that a vast number of small businesses could go bankrupt. That's scary yeah. stuff. Yes, and it's so the owner said um, that the UK could be facing a flood of bankruptcies in the coming months. Um, so around 64% of businesses across all industries were at risk of insolvency last month, and 43% of companies are running on less than six months of cash reserves. So that means almost two thirds of all businesses could face becoming bankrupt in the coming months. And it's those within the accommodation, food service and business support sectors that are at severe risk or at the most risk. This sounds very much like the report earlier on this week. I think it was Monday from King's College London that said that six million small businesses were uh, supporting 16.6 million jobs and a lot of them were facing bankruptcy. So this is two sets of figures saying more or less the same thing. Yeah, so um, the ONS figures out today do echo that report. And um, so researchers at um, King's Business School said that um, that's another 16.6 million jobs at risk, like you've just said. Now, if you think about it, small businesses contribute to about 52% 
of the £2.2 trillion turnover generated by the private sector. And that's and they also employ about 60% of all workers in the private sector. So it's not looking good on the job, job front. And it's looking even worse if you are under 26. Because uh, there were figures this week that looked completely dire that said that 11.1% of under 26s compared with 4.6% of over 26s were losing their jobs. Yeah, so that was by the London School of Economics and their warning that we're looking at a 1980s-style long-term unemployment and it's going to be the under 26 that are going to be losing out the most or those entering the job market. You obviously do not remember a 1980s recession, (laughs) uh, but uh, certainly I was coming into the jobs market in the 80s, finding it really difficult to get anywhere, and then looking at what happened. We had lots of people long-term unemployed. It ruins people's confidence. It takes away self-esteem. The longer people are out of work, the longer they're out of work in a lot of cases. Please, we're not going to go back to that, but it certainly looks from the figures as if people are worried we might. Anything else on the news? Any good news? Um, I'm afraid <laughs> I know there I hasn't you on the been... Spot last year, an impossible question. I, I mean, I, I can't really see anything positive at the moment. And this week, there's been a lot of research that's been out and it's, it's just not looking good, especially for the self-employed. Um, so we had analysis um, by Labour about half a million self-employed people that are going to be left in the lurch with very little to no financial support. And most of these are going to be um, in the hospitality, creative, sports and events sectors, which has the highest numbers of self-employed people. Um, yeah, so the, news- the, other, the other thing I'm thinking about is the end of furlough. Uh, we are recording on Friday. This is the 30th. Uh, Saturday the 31st is the last day of the furlough scheme which means on Sunday we move on to the job support scheme and that's not nearly as uh, generous as the the original furlough scheme. No. And as Mickey said last uh, week this is the second attempt at the job support scheme so um, could be quite difficult couldn't it? Yeah well they're only going to be receiving two-fifths of their net wages. Um, Now the government all along has said that the the income gap can be topped up through universal credit. But for every pound they get through the self-employed income support scheme, their universal credit is reduced by 63 pence. But that can also be reduced further because um, if the minimum minimum income floor comes back into effect on November the 13th, um, then yeah, so that was suspended at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, the minimum income floor applies to self-employed workers and it assumes they earn a minimum wage each month, like employees. But we know that's not the case. Freelancers' income fluctuates. And if the government doesn't extend the suspension, a lot of self-employed people are facing a very bleak winter. Ah, right. OK, I'm not asking you for any more good news. <laughs> we're, we're going to move on. Sorry about that. <laughs> we're going to move on because I know I think you, you don't have any. So let's move on. What we're talking about today is women in business and women who are self-employed. And we are going to be talking to three business women about the impact on them, on their networks. And we're also going to be talking to Professor Julia Rouse, who has done a lot of research into the issues that women face in self-employment and is also looking at the impact of COVID. Julia, 
you've done a lot of research in this area. Can you can you give us an overview? Can you what are the facts? Well, the facts are that whilst men are worst affected in health terms by the pandemic, women are bearing more of the socio-economic costs. So there's lots of streams of evidence on that. If we think about self-employment and small business ownership, we know that about three quarters of the care conducted due to school and nursery closure has been done by women. And I think in women-led businesses, that's particularly difficult for women to resist because if they're at home and there's this idea that work is negotiable, we know women in business often have to negotiate time to work on their business on a daily basis. So that's even more difficult, I think, for women to resist. So we also know that there's kind of sectors in which women are concentrated, do more face-to-face -face work. And that does mean that they uh, are gonna find it more difficult to socially distance and therefore they're more affected by lockdown measures. We also know that the government's investing in sectors that they see as sexy, which are all masculine sectors. And there's really interesting research by the Women's Budget Group that shows that if we invested in a care-led recovery, which came up against this problem we've got with a massive recruitment problem in social care, need to expand, expand social care and the need to expand and stabilise the childcare sector, which has been completely undermined by a muck up at the beginning of lockdown around how early years settings were going to be funded, that we could create vastly more jobs per pound spent on in the care sector, which would build a, an important economic infrastructure for the country for the future. So we need to stop thinking about the national economy like a household economy. It doesn't work like that. We need to spend and invest in order for productivity to be possible. And as much as broadband is important, if we'd have withdrawn broadband at the beginning of lockdown, imagine the business lobby. Well, what we did was it withdraw an important infrastructure, probably more important than broadband, which was childcare. But where was the business lobby outrage? And that landed primarily on women and it's ongoing. And I think it's not just a matter of having to invest time in care, it's the uncertainty. I mean, businesses are facing such unprecedented uncertainty. The one thing the government can do is to create a little more certainty. I listened, and to, I listened to the Resolution Foundation webinar this week on jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, and basically they were saying, agreeing with you, that there will be jobs created in the, the social care sector and the green economy. So the social care sector obviously might be a sector that would... Uh, attract more women into it but where's the reskilling where's the where's the where are we looking at the training that people need you can't turn somebody from a chef into a care worker or uh, somebody who works in the green economy overnight this is going to take quite a long time to make this shift and we don't seem to be factoring that in Prior to the pandemic, I was really concerned about the quality of a lot of the work in self-employment. Out of the last recession, almost all jobs created came from self-employment. We had a self-employment-led recovery. Now, I don't know if we're going to have that again, so I don't know where the jobs are going to come from. But equally, there was a massive decrease in pay, and particularly for women. So that self-employment for a lot of women wasn't looking like good quality work. And... So the idea that some people should transition out of self-employment is not necessarily, you know, ubiquitously a bad thing. But this 
joke of a website that's telling people to become a funeral director when they've been a musician or whatever, you know, removes any credibility of the kind of scale-ups of support we need to help people to go through that painful process of deciding that this hasn't worked or that there isn't a market for this. There won't be a market for the next two or three years. So at least for now, I need to move out of this and into something else. And if we're all we're saying is go and get a job in Tesco's, you know, it's just, there's not enough jobs in Tesco's are there to absorb the problem in any case. So, you know, we really do need some bit of good news. We've formed the Women's Enterprise Policy Group, a whole load of researchers and the very best supporters of business, uh, women's business support in the country. And we have produced a policy framework and we're taking it out to every part of government that we've got the energy to work with. Um, and what we're saying is that we need a new generation of women's business support. And that that will include some of this retraining. It will include skills for digitization. It will include strategizing around the childcare issue. And, and also, women have lost out on the self-employment income support scheme in various ways we know take up and payment of that is much lower. Bounce back loans are bound to be gendered because we didn't tell women the one thing they needed to know is the government won't come for your house or your car. And unless you tell women that, they would tend to be reluctant to borrow. Mm. We know that the future fund is a pitiful amount of that has gone to women led businesses. And in fact, getting gender disaggregated data out of the government is proving pretty tricky. But we are on your side. There is a group of people who are trying to build a movement to say we need to change. Well, we are on your side too. And if there's anything that we can do, uh, Jyoti and I certainly are here going, uh, hello. <laughs> Is there anything that we can do to push this out? Because I know that you're a professor of entrepreneurship at Manchester Metropolitan University, but you've also built this network. So, Julia, uh, please join the conversation. But there are three women desperately anxious and they've all been putting uh, we're on zoom by the way so i can see you all going uh waving to get in let me introduce claudia welsh who uh, is founder of be empowered ai limited she's a business coach and mentor uh anna price is founder of the rural business awards and is a freelance chartered marketer and st uh, strategy specialist and amy solon is a hypnotherapist and owner of elements hypnotherapy in dunfermline near edinburgh i don't know which one of you is going to go first claudia i think your hand was up before everybody else just pile in there come on let's go for it my hand went up when you said is there any good news and i was going to say to you that the construction uh, you know the painting and decorating is doing quite well at this time for whatever <laughs> reason it came on the news and i thought that's something great so at least we'll have pretty homes at least for a while um with with regards to uh business and when I look at business as a woman, I tend not to say woman. I just go in as a business because sometimes I find that when I use that caption, it's sort of um, fit to some stereotypes, especially when you're dealing with, um, no offense guys, but the opposite sex. So I tend to go straight in and treat it as a business. Now I've joined a few networking groups and I have seen how they have supported in the furlough people are using different techniques and you talk about retraining and reskilling just looking at what you already have and how you can use that through mainly technology to be honest we we we're tired of zoom let us put it politely nobody likes sitting in front of but guess what it is the way to go and what i'm finding is that more and more of us are using our talents or our business 
and we're using it in terms of uh, getting it across in using technology. So for example, uh, when I do coaching, I used to go to a particular bank in the high street once a month and have a leadership workshop. That no longer happens. Now I go on Eventbrite. Oops, am I allowed to say? Disclaimer, my opinion. I go on a, a platform and I will definitely uh, have only a minimum of 10 people, put them on and we come and we have a training of the core. It's the same workshop, but it's it's encouraging people how you can be uh, good leaders, how you can transfer from where you are in your career to somewhere else. So there are opportunities everywhere, whatever it is that uh, I find that women do in business, it doesn't have to be shut shop. And the next thing too is there are lots of grants being given by a lot of enterprise centers. And I'm from West London and they do have um, enterprise centers here. And everyone, including women-based business can apply to these and get the grants. Just have to read the fine print though, because that's where it can become a bit tricky. I think the, the, the contrast as well in that that you're central London, obviously um, I'm in rural Leicestershire, but we're seeing a lot of opportunity as well. And I think that traditionally we've always said, oh, we can't use technology. You know, rural broadband has been an issue for goodness knows how many years. But actually what's happened with COVID is it's not proved to be so much of an issue as we've been shouting about, because look at us all here. I'm, like I say, in a village in Leicestershire, um, quite rural. I don't know where the rest of you are based, but I've not met anybody yet that actually cannot physically get onto some kind of Zoom. And I'm dealing with an awful lot of rural businesses. So, Anna, well, can I just say that your picture on Zoom is the clearest of the lot? <laughs> I'm, I'm in central Claudia seems to be in London and we're fuzzy around the edges. We are, we are. <laughs> we make excuses about technology a lot and not using it, but what, what COVID's allowed us to do is to have to get on with it. And I think I think this also comes back to women and the resilience that we show as well. And in doing all the juggling, it's the mental resilience, it's the you know technological resilience. People think that we can't use technology, but actually what we do tend to do is get on and make best of what we have. I can absolutely agree with that as well. I am a self-described Luddite. Um, I'm not a fan of technology. I do not own a smartphone. I don't enjoy, uh, well, before March, <laughs> I wasn't a social media person, but it was like you say, Anna, about resilience. I wholeheartedly agree with that. In my situation and in many people's situations, it was a case of sink or swim. And I researched, I didn't know what Zoom was before March. I researched what the best platform was. Now, bar a couple of clients who for uh, different reasons are unable to meet on Zoom, 100% of my business, so that makes it what, about 95% of my business, is on Zoom and I have not had one issue yet. If anything, I'm finding it more effective uh, on Zoom. So it's really remarkable what we can achieve when we just take the barriers out of our way and look at, at what we need to overcome. So yes, it is quite remarkable, I agree. Um, but Amy, you're working a lot with people who um, are finding there is a mental health impact yes. around about COVID. So, yes. um, and 
and we did there was a report out the other day that said that actually women of all ethnicities all backgrounds all of that kind of thing um are struggling more with mental health so on the one hand we may be resilient enough to make zoom work but on the other hand we are seem to be finding it harder to adjust to this new reality in some way yeah that that's very very true and i can share so many stories both anecdotally and from my my actual work of the barriers that women have overcome and some of those things have already been mentioned childcare being the primary one mm-hmm. and i think prior to this anyway I, I i do work a lot with women and i think i won't say absolutely but often we have these guilt complexes we're we're not performing as well as others with all of these uh, somebody described it to me recently as different balls that we're juggling if one drops the whole thing collapses and i think it's a really important point i have have been working with quite a number of people who just particularly when the schools were all um as you were mentioning earlier on in march april may june time women Absolutely. And Julia, you have the research there. I have the anecdotal evidence and the the evidence from my clients that they are completely overwhelmed. They did do the bulk of the work. So running businesses, looking after children and doing all of that, the, the stuff that comes along with managing a house. It has been hugely overwhelming. And over the last seven months, I've worked with a lot of women who have been hugely struggling with those issues one in particular who actually ended up giving up her job a job that she didn't want to give up but she wasn't able to juggle at all and that was what she decided had to give Jyoti you wanted to come in um and then Julia and Julia I want to ask you about that equalities issue are we actually setting things back Jyoti um yeah so just going on that so women are what we've gathered is we like to multitask we are juggling a lot of things so does that make them more prone to poor mental health then yeah i mean jody that's kind of what i wanted to come in on i think the modern version of a woman is a woman who can juggle all the inequalities of yesterday and today and do it with a smile on her face and 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 looking beautiful you know and and i really resist this idea that I mean, I'm a great fan of women and I love being around women, but we we are human and we need a concept of resilience that's about our context and not just our, our, our psychological ability to exploit ourselves. And our resilience is built around things like childcare, business support that works with us. Um, you know, and frankly, in the self-employment, it relates to the market as well, doesn't it? Being able to actually get paid for what you do um, or having a safety net in terms of social protection or a training system that helps you to fail forward into something better. So I really resist the idea of a purely psychological understanding of what resilience means. I think we do need, it is, this is for me a feminist moment where we need to be a bit careful about all just being terribly cheerful and getting on with it. We need to stand together as a movement and say, we deserve better. Mm -hmm. And although yes, we're doing the war spirit thing of pulling together and all the rest of it, we shouldn't be doing that in an unfair way. Do you think that, so if you like, these are some of the gender boundaries of the 
sanctuary that women are facing. But we're obviously multitasking that. So do you think women are more likely to um, blur the boundaries between what's personal, what's business and having that work-life balance? Yeah, and I think that that's come to be an understanding of what it is to be a successful woman so that we've internalized the problem to a large extent. And so a lot of my work is working with women and you know, I see their shoulders go down and their heads go up as we work with them to let go of some of that responsibility, externalize it and see, what, see it for what it is. And that is a failure to organize society in such a way that people can coordinate work and home, care being a part of life and not just women's responsibilities. I mean, don't get me wrong, men are doing more and more. And some of this is about negotiation at the household level as well, isn't it? But nevertheless, I, all the statistics still tell us women are doing more. I, I'd, um, I'd second that really, because I, I, I mean, I've been through it in the pandemic, so I won't go into my personal situation, but recently got divorced. And actually it's made my life, and take this in the right way, we are still friends, a hell of a lot easier because actually my childcare responsibilities have been cut in half. So my husband has the kids 50% of the time, ex-husband has the kids 50% of the time, which has enabled me to have 50% of the time that I never used to have. Mm. So no, there's, a, there's a hint, but let's not, let's not let's all not right. there, but yeah. <laughs> I was on the back of that, I'm, yeah, on the back of that, I was going to say what, uh, what, what I find that I never used to do when I'm much younger, I can do now is, ask for what I want mm. and I do encourage as women we uh, it's mentioned uh, throughout we just get on and we, we multitask and everything goes well but it goes well at an expense and at some point you'll peak and you will either float and rise above it or go to a demise it will be uh, the fork in the road and what I, I have learned and I encourage other um, fellow business women is to say what you want the most or the least you can hear is no, and you're not worse than where you were before. And that is a bit challenging sometimes. So what I do now, my lovely men around me, I make demands, I ask, or we do trade off. You know, you come and help me with my business, do this. You get me some people here and I'll do this for you. Men like a good trade off. So those are skills that COVID has brought about because when you're looking around and you're saying, okay, who can help me? Where can I go? Sometimes it's not a fellow woman. Sometimes it's somebody else who you least expect. But if you don't ask and put it out there, how are you going to get that help? And as I said before, you can't, you, no is not a deterrent. No is just saying, let's find another avenue. Um, Anna's dog wants to come in on the conversation. Oh, yes. Um, Claudia, <laughs> just, just while, uh, while you're the train my train of thought is uh i would just wanted to ask you uh what you're finding about women working uh, women from ethnic minority backgrounds yes uh, working in business and self-employment are there more women working in self-employment and business perhaps in the most affected sectors from ethnic minority oh. backgrounds to be honest, most of the women that are with the background that I observe, especially in particularly black women, we're usually in a caregiving situation. So we're either working in the home or we're working in uh, the health homes or hospitals, residential homes and so on. But there are a considerable number who also have their own businesses. What about the hairdressers, especially the salons and so on, the nails? Those are things that they do. Then you have the professional um, side where there are quite a number of 
coaches that I see, blah, 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 and they seem to be doing well. The issue is find out what people need and diversify your business that way. And that's what we have been doing. So uh, I won't call any name, but I have a good friend who is a lawyer. She runs her business. And now she's done law alongside coaching. So that 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 helps her. And, and, and another thing she has taken on is technology because she realizes that women don't like it. So she runs a workshop for women about technology. And those are the things and the, the people do attend because those are the things that we're privately scared to ask somebody to help us with. Simple things just to make our business well. So for the Black and ethnic minority, my observation is, yes, we are there in businesses, but the type of businesses we do, is uh, it's more lucrative for us rather than otherwise. That's one of my observations. Julia? Well, there's quite a lot of evidence that uh, Black and minority ethnic women business owners work in the sectors where social distancing is more difficult. And so we are expecting this double hit in, in that group. And we know that uh, rates of economic inactivity amongst some ethnic minority groups are already very low. And so therefore, you know, this, this is a, a genuinely um, tragic end of, of the scale of, of the problem. Um, I've been working with a group in Manchester following Black Lives Matter, well, the relationships went before that. Um, and one of the asks they're making is to the Greater Manchester Combined Authority to spend 1% of all public spending in black businesses. So I think sometimes we need to look at these higher level aims, start looking at how fair public procurement is as one of the solutions to the problem as, as well, because at least that's a part of the market that keeps flowing. Which begs the question then, do we need uh, policies and strategies across rural businesses, Anna? I think that what we're what we're finding rurally, and um, I mean, we, we said earlier that there's a lot of negativity. Certainly, um, I think rural is a sector that will thrive because we've shortened our supply chain so much. Globalization's worked for us for such a long time, and suddenly our supply chains have shortened massively. Um, if you think about, I don't, how many of you live rurally, or is it just me? Yeah, so, but we've got small village shops that are doing the deliveries. You've got the local butchers, the farmers that are actually, uh, and we, we talk about farm to fork. We are literally farm to fork. So we're getting deliveries of meat. We're getting deliveries of veg. They're holding um, veg markets in the local pub car parks. The local pubs are doing deliveries. Our supply chains have shortened so much rurally and people are beginning to see the benefit of moving out of cities now because you know your connectivity is there you can work from anywhere um the quality of life um the impact on mental health being outdoors i i i predict that the next five to ten years we'll see a real resurgence in rural communities and and rural living and working for, to the benefit of mental health and to the british economy in in the whole really i'm hoping that that's what happens anyway obviously I, I absolutely agree with that, Anna, and I see it where, where I am. I am outside Edinburgh. Edinburgh is my nearest, well, actually, that's a lie, John Furman, because my nearest big town, but Edinburgh is where I go to. But around me, there's a number of satellite towns, smaller villages, and I'm noticing a hugely increased community spirit, which is really, really lovely to be a part of. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm a member of a number of uh, different women's networking groups. And the other thing that has 
very much emerged on that exact point is that in terms of Christmas shopping, we're shopping locally. So we're making a commitment to spending X amount of money. It might be 50, 50 pound in one group or um, through putting a, um, an advert for our business in, we are making a commitment to do the shopping within that group. And it's small artisan, local producers of goods. And it is, it's bringing people away, which is sad in a sense as well. I do find that sad for the high street in the cities, but it is bringing ownership back to the communities, which as, as a member of one of them, it's, it's really lovely to see. Mm -hmm. It's just gonna echo what um, Amy just said. There's been a sudden surge in like this supporting local communities, um, not just in rural areas, but in like small, smaller cities as well, smaller cities and towns. And I think we are beginning to see like the smaller businesses that were maybe at risk before, like the your local butchers, because people were just going to the supermarket, mm -hmm. um, might, might come out better off. Um, say in the post-COVID economy. Um, yeah. Julia, how do we make this sustainable though? Because there is a, we do have a tendency as human beings to want to go back to whatever we thought was perfect before disaster struck. <laughs> um, you know, um, and this, this conversation, strangely enough, is reflecting uh, a keynote speaker that I heard yesterday at a conference I was chairing saying, you know, we are we must think locally. Supply chains are much shorter than they were, etc. And local is where the future is. How do we make it sustainable? A couple of things. I, I saw some research yesterday that showed that women entrepreneurs are doing a lot more in terms of their social contribution, which means more energy out, but it might also mean a bit of mental health resilience back again. I think I do worry about some of the pivots that are around market changes that won't stick. And that's fine if you're not pouring resources into this. When you pivot, you've got four basic options um, when you're in a crisis situation. You can retrench, so pull back your business. You can persevere. You, you can innovate or you can exit, sometimes to re-enter again in the future. Because this is a long-term crisis, a lot of the crisis literature would tell you that just retrenching and persevering in the end won't do it. So innovating is necessary, but innovating to what in a changing market, I think is the really crucial, really tricky thing for all small business owners to be working. You know, what is stable enough out there? And the one thing that government can do is to try to create as much stability around its own demand uh, and around regulations, say around the green sector, making the, the green sector deal longer, uh, same around early years, social care. They, could, they can create as much stability as possible so that people can pivot into the future rather than some of these trends which worry me if people are spending a lot of money on them and the market may go back to normal. What happened to the industrial strategy Julia because it seems to me that the only strategy we've got at this moment is hope and hope is not a strategy. That's not a strategy. It's all about highly sexy high stem sector businesses it wasn't about the sectors in which the vast majority of the country work and the vast majority of women in particular. And so we had no proper work strategy. We have no, so some of these changes were coming, okay? We, they're unstoppable in a way, but how we're actually gonna deal with them and train forwards out of them, we did just didn't have a good strategy for that. Okay, how long is this going to take then to get back to normal? Sorry, Claudia, I cut across you. 
Okay, I was looking and saying, guys, remember there's also Brexit in the mix. And um, we look at it, yes, it's it's not, I don't see it as bad as, I just see it as an opportunity. So the countryside is going to be um, quite good. There are lots of entrepreneurs who can exit the business that they have and start new business, especially as women, there will be so um, many choices for us to take from that. So uh, for us as women, it would be an ideal opportunity to sort of get our networks together and start being a bit more proactive rather than um, waiting for it to fall at our doorstep we start before we start taking action. But um, I just look at it as a good thing and bearing that in mind, just line up for it. That's well, there, there's also the American election. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and, and if we want to get really macroeconomic, what about the oil markets? <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Anna. I, I think that um, sort of echoing what what was what Claudia said there is that there is there, there has to be so much positivity out there. I think that certainly as a strategist, what I'm seeing with a lot of businesses now, there is this realization that things will never go back to quite the way that they were before and what can we do differently what what opportunities are out there in the market but people are slow to realize that they do need to relook at their markets because the whole markets have changed so what can we do to pivot what i hate that word and i hate it and it's overused at the moment but leverage looking at things in a very very different way um and certainly what we're trying to do with the rural sector is we've we've been lobbying government for years and years and years so we've been going six years and it's just an ongoing situation that they they tend to just park and say we're, we're rural proofing everything and we know that that actually doesn't happen um but it, it's kind of like a bit of a sob story rural is and we've we've decided that you know we don't need to do that anymore what we're going to try and do is start from the grassroots start from the bottom it's like an uprising, isn't it? And then the government will be forced to take notice of the fact that we're talking about sustainability, um, environmental um, issues. We're talking about farm to fork. It's all about generating these short supply chains, making Britain more sustainable in its own ability to look after itself. And rural is going to play a massive part in that. And we will make that change happen, she says being really optimistic but we'll start to make that change happen by doing it by getting on and, and like you said Claudia not not just waiting for this to be led by government we're going to get on and do it. Um, sort of going back to Claudia's point about um, opportunities um, we are seeing a lot of opportunities in the crisis there's always um, room for opportunities but we've got like you mentioned Brexit, US elections, the pandemic that all results in economic uncertainty. And I know you're trying to be positive, Anna, but that also means that taking opportunity means it's more riskier, it couldn't pay off. And I've always thought women are less risk prone. They, they don't like to take as much risk, but I'm wondering what are your guys' thoughts on that? Go to the evidence is that women are medium risk takers and that following the last uh, global recession, the banks don't actually like high risk taking, they like medium risk taking. So women's chances of getting a loan have increased massively um, and they actually repay their loans. Women are good business owners because they, they take medium scale risks. OK, but I, I think I think there are some long range trends here that we people can develop their skills as much as their businesses around, aren't there? I mean, digital is 
un, un, undoubtedly a long range trend that you're not going to fall out if you use this opportunity to build those particular skills. But uh, and, and with Anna, I'm completely with you. Build your movement, do it and, and believe, believe that you can make a difference. But equally, we have an employment bill coming up. We have the argument around food quality. And we do all need to stand against the idea that we're going to just trade at the very bottom with low level labor, low level, you know, standards in order to compete. And that's not the kind of economy, that's not the kind of future that we're fighting and suffering for, is it? We could, as, as usual with these podcasts, we could talk all day, um, but the listeners won't listen all day. So, <laughs> so one, of, one of the points that one of the points that really worries me, uh, and you know, my big thing is reskilling and training and all of that kind of stuff, um, which I'll rant about on a different occasion. But one thing that really worries me is younger people coming into the jobs market. So, what would we say to an under twenty six or, or even a you know a graduate at twenty one, twenty two, coming out into the jobs market? a woman uh, working in, you know, want to be self-employed, want to go into business. What what hope can you give younger people that okay. eventually it won't be so bad? Because let's face it, the economy will bounce back eventually. This too will pass. It just could take the next four years. So how do we, how do we sustain that hope for that time? Claudia, you're... <laughs> Yeah, I would always go to go. I love a good chat. Uh, uh, I would always say to young people, especially young women, do not limit yourself to where the opportunity is going to come, because once you start doing that right away, you're, you're, uh, you, you are just structuring yourself for if failure occur, what do I do next? So be open as to what the opportunities are, and the next thing is really use your gifts and talents. So for example, if you are a good blogger, if you're good with uh, social media, be unconventional because sometimes that's where you're going to get your uh, break. So you thinking outside the box, this is one way we can just think outside of what a regular, regular quote unquote job is for us. And those skills that we have, everything that you have as a skill can be monetize so to speak it can be used to earn a living so for a young woman coming up don't limit yourself and whatever you love to do and you're good at that's a good starting ground for you find your why isn't it find your reason why um because yes. you're never gonna work is a pleasure then actually if you do something that you love and you, you believe in it, it becomes a pleasure as well and then to make money around that is fabulous I would say structure your self-employment as a learning experience. It's an experiment in whether or not you can create a market for what you're wanting or indeed how you co-create something the market does actually want. If you structure it as a learning experience, you can't fail. The business can, but you can't. Mm -hmm. And I would wholeheartedly agree with everybody before because it is, I think life is, life is short and it's important to love what you do see everything as an opportunity and I never thought that I would be sitting here conducting everything on on zoom that was a limiting belief for me there are so many opportunities out there there are so many and it's like you said Anna just finding that why because if you're driven by that it will be easy to get up up every day and also the other thing which we've kind of I think addressed in, in many ways is through networks and people 
those collaborations. I've made some beautiful collaborative pieces of work over the last six months. Um, actually, all women, um, fellow businesswomen, um, collaborating on, on topics and creating this lovely, like you said, Claudia, you can monetize your passion. And that's that's what I've I've done. And I think, yeah, the, the opportunities are there. It's that lateral thinking, move away from the from the tunnel vision and then move move the eyes outward. And uh, yeah, you'll get there. Josie. Um I'd say yeah to everything what everyone said um, and also just um, don't be afraid to try something new. I think sometimes fear can be a big um, setback for a lot of people so just listen if you don't give it a try you're always going to wonder what if. I can hear a lot of people saying hang on a minute I'm scared of not being able to pay the bills though and I think that is a, a limiting factor for a lot of people because they simply say, I have to stick with what I know. I have to go and work in Tesco's because I have to pay the bills. Um, I've always been lucky in my freelance career because I do a lot of different things. So I have a, I think the jargon is a portfolio. <laughs> but I do, I have discovered that over the past 20 odd years, if one bit of work drops off and dries up, another bit of work tends to grow to fit the space. And that has, I suppose that would uh, be my tip to that. But Julia, we need some decent policy behind all of this. What does, what do, what do we need from the government in terms of making it possible for women in small businesses, uh, in rural areas, from different ethnic backgrounds? And uh, what do we need in terms of help around the mental health issue? Thinking back to what you've just said, hybrid entrepreneurs have been excluded from the self-employment income support scheme because if they get less than 50% of their earnings from self-employment, they're not entitled. What bonkers decision was that? Because we know that it's a great way of entering into self-employment. We know it's a good way of spreading your risks. It's the real. I really don't think that there's a lot of people who understand self-employment in government. So what they need to do is get out there and understand the role it's playing in people's lives a lot better. And then we wouldn't have had some of the problems that we've had. We need a much, we need a root and branch rethink about the social protection. Uh, uh, you know, universal credit doesn't work well for the self-employed. Equally, the government governments of the future may want to set some conditions on what kinds of support self-employment they want to encourage. So we need a grown-up adult conversation about how the self-employed are taxed. But in the Women's Enterprise Policy Group, as well as calling for wider changes around things like childcare, making the loan schemes more, 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 more welcome to women, etc., we really are calling for a new generation of different kind of women-focused business support. And before the pandemic, I would have been cautious about this because you know we know that if you're in a women-only network, you can't do business with men, and that's a major drawback with women-only support. But a lot of women would like some a sisterly space. They're missing their friends. They've got a lot. They've been highly feminized by 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 the by the pandemic in terms of care responsibilities, worrying about their teenagers' mental health and all the rest of it. A lot of women would like to be around other women at the moment, but we also need safe spaces to learn about digitization, to build investment readiness, and we need the government to take women-led sectors seriously. We set up because we are absolutely convinced that uh, government doesn't understand small business and how it works. Uh, we don't, we desperately want uh, more 
thought around about how to support self-employed people who haven't had any support so far. Um, in actual fact, figures this week show that people who were employees on the furlough scheme could have, at the maximum, had £5,000 more support in the last six months than somebody who was self-employed could have had at the maximum, should they have been entitled to it. So there is a big gap there. Uh, and I think it's a lack of understanding that really is at the heart of that gap. So Bear in mind, some self-employed people will have received support they didn't need. So it's highly untargeted support. And so we do need to go back and think about the way in which government can see and recognise the self-employed in its systems. And this goes right way back to how we register businesses in the first place, etc., so that we could have a more inclusive response in the future in a, way, in a more targeted way. And we will innovate, we will take the risks and we will create jobs as we have done in the past. Um, what can I say? Thanks for a brilliant conversation. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Julia Rouse. Thank you, Claudia Walsh. And thank you, Anna Price and Amy Solon. Um, Jyoti, thank you very much for being with me. And um, I think we probably have to thank Ben and Harry, who've uh, been doing the technical bits and made it happen. <laughs> we don't, you know, we're not anti-men. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, thanks everybody. It's been really great. And we will be back next week to talk about more small business and self-employed issues. 